The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi everybody, Andrew Gormley, CEO of Classic Flyers here. If you're interested in classic aviation and you want to get up close and personal to old aircraft and see some of New Zealand's aviation history, come across the Classic Flyers, Jean Batten Drive, Mount Monganui, right on the edge of the airport. You can go for flights in old aeroplanes like Boeing Stearmans and Harvards. There's lots to see. Kids' parties happening here all the time. We have functions and function rooms, business meetings, and a great cafe with excellent coffee. If you'd like to be involved with Classic Flyers, we also have the volunteer groups who do all things from helping out with function work or just on the main hangar floor with visitors and guests or birthday parties, right through to engineers who get involved in restoring some of our wonderful old aircraft assets. Currently at the moment, we've got a Grumman Avenger being restored and a de Havilland single-seat FB5 Vampire. These things are all part of New Zealand's aviation history. It's a great place and it's in a good location. Come and have a visit. Check out the website on www.classicflyersnz.com Extended Hi, this is Peter Johnson from Aerospace Radio Station Extended and we bring you some of Europe's best guests. He's, he's been something of, of an unsung hero of the American space program outside those who are, have made it their business to become aficionados of it. News. <laughs> some people will call you mad. Some people will call you heroes. Uh, uh, and everyone else is probably somewhere in that spectrum. It's, uh, it's an amazing project to, to pull together from literally from scratch. And views. You've got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and learn from that experience. And that's not an easy thing to do, Peter, learning from your own failure. So why not give us a listen if you want to hear about warbirds, aviation, and the aerospace industry? Come over and give us a visit. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. Extended. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. And today we come back to the Typhoon Legacy team uh, for the first time in a while. Uh, we did record with them, believe it or not, in July 2016. So it's been four years since we had you guys on the show. And uh, I can't believe that. I thought it was two years. I just looked up. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. And uh, uh, so I'd like to uh, bring back, welcome back to the show, uh, Ian Slater. Hi, Ian. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having us. Um, with us uh, this time, we've, we've kind of rotated personnel to get a bit of a different perspective on what's going on. And today there's myself. Uh, in the shop with me is Cam Wallace. Hello. And Hi. Cam is the son of Emerson Wallace, 193 Squadron, uh, Typhoon pilot. Uh, we also have online Graham Allen who was uh, elusive during the last one. We tried to have him on, but uh, he's another a Kiwi connection for us and does a, a huge amount of uh, research work and, and a lot of the stuff behind the project that really makes things happen. And uh, we also have Martin Oldfield, one of our designers. Uh, Martin is ex-Boeing. He can give a lot more information on his past, but uh, he's an aerospace professional that's doing a lot of our design work and uh, focusing on the uh, rear monocoque structure at the moment. So we'll let, uh, let the guys dig into their specifics on that. I don't want to overstep there. Okay. Well, uh, welcome to the show, guys. And it's really good to have you on. Um, uh, Ian, we'll start with you and just sort of, um, for those who haven't 
caught up with what you guys are doing, just give a, a brief overview of this project to start with, and then we'll sort of catch up between uh, the last show four years ago and now. Sure, yeah. I'm trying to figure out what I said on the last interview now. I probably should have listened to that before. Uh, I should have too. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, the overview of the project is to return a Hawker Typhoon to flight. And the reality of the situation with typhoons is that um, there aren't substantial remains of uh, an intact aircraft, or there aren't substantial enough repain, uh, remains of an sorry, of an actual aircraft to um, restore a typhoon and certify it for flight. Uh, and my definition of restoring would be to take surviving components, clean them up, repair where needed, and assemble them. So what we're doing is ultimately a rebuild or a new build using factory data, original components, reverse engineering them, um, using a lot of modern technology to do that and building essentially a new aircraft around the serial number of JP843 uh, that was lost in the Normandy campaign on the 27th of August, or sorry, 27th of July, 1944, along with uh, Peter Price, uh, our Kiwi pilot from 609. Right. Um, to get into what we've done since the last time, I, I think the last time that we spoke, we were just getting going on, uh, on a lot of construction research and um, early work. So, at the time, I believe our cockpit section was still together or just being uh, just disassembled. So with that stage, uh, we needed to immediately dismantle it. It took up a lot of space. It was using a lot of uh, original Typhoon components and some replica components that just didn't help us. They weren't exact replicas. We couldn't use them for data. So it was just consuming space. And we needed the components out of it that uh, we could send to our sponsor, E3D Technology in Langley, who were able to take them and laser scan them and, and build CAD models for us from the surviving parts that we didn't have factory data for. So that step, uh, it took quite a bit of time on their end after we had it disassembled, but while they were producing those parts digitally, we had our designers. Uh, I don't think Martin was with us at the time, actually. So we had Bruce Slater, we had uh, Nicholas Walter, uh, both still with us, of course. Uh, and Nicholas was building the cockpit section digitally from drawings and needed those components to stick them together. Um, it, it took a, a couple of years to do that, and we're very, very close to a complete cockpit section built digitally and verified now using all sorts of different techniques. Um, and the CAD designers, really, I, I can't do too much without them uh, here in the shop, although I, I really thought that I could at the beginning. There's... Uh, the radiator fairy and I started doing manual lofting from the drawings, original Hawker drawings. But what we found, Martin, Martin can attest to this quite a bit better than I can, but uh, the profiles that they have on the charts uh, in, uh, for say a frame, a fuselage frame or a radiator fairing frame, they're fairly accurate, but they're not 100% accurate. When you start lofting from frame to frame and in, in different directions, you start to see that they're drawn and there's voids or, or dips in the skin surface if you actually build them that way. So it's taken quite a few years to iron out bugs. And I think Martin's probably better to speak to this because it's a very frustrating process. Um, but it, at the end of the day, if I produce parts in the shop from the original drawings, they're not going to make a nice final product. We have to iron out wrinkles and they might be as small as 10 or 15 thousandths of an inch, but it'll show on the final product. So with the use of CAD, we're able to, to get all of that sorted out properly before a part is built. And that's really the model that we've gone to now where I, I don't touch anything until I know that the CAD guys have released it and they're good with it um, because right. it'll save time in the future. <laughs> uh, perhaps I could just uh, butt in there. Yeah, please. Um, what, what the CAD uh, software is doing for us these days is it replaces the need for the master tooling. In the old days, they used to build what they call plaster masters. And that would give you the, the, the final profile of whichever part of the airplane you were, you were working on. Yeah. So, and they would work out all these minor errors just by washing in the plaster into, into the uh, formers. So, okay. Right. Got just a little bit of history there. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. 
Okay, that's interesting. Um, well, so I, I, I know, Ian, that um, since we last talked, like shortly after we recorded last time, you managed to locate a wing as well. Oh, great. <laughs> that, that was a few weeks after, I think. It was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a, a huge find. Uh, with the typhoon, there's, there's two major sections that are very, very difficult and basically don't exist. And that's a, a bit of a stretch, but it's the Napier Saber engine and the wing on the Typhoon. Yep. There are yep. maybe 30 to 40 Sabres in all conditions, including the one that we've got here that's a, a sea recovery in good, good shape considering, but still a sea recovery. In the wing, there is MN235, the sole survivor that's now back in Hendon, has complete wings. There is uh, a fellow, a private collector that has wings. I haven't seen them myself, but I've talked to the people that have. And then there's us. And the wing that we have, it's funny, I'm looking at an aileron hanging here that came off of it. But the wing that we have was, from our best information, recovered in Belgium. And um, thanks to uh, the help of Chris Thomas, we've actually narrowed it down to uh, probably approximately 10 aircraft that it could be based on markings and other um, information on them, including modification information. We found a, a string of rivets on this wing that was part of a mod that was implemented, I believe, in October of 1944. So we knew the aircraft had to have crashed after October of 44. So we were able to hone it in. Um, and with the assumption of Belgium, we were able to get it even farther from there. Yeah. But it was recovered at some point, still vague, and it was brought to the uh, Combat Armor Museum in Belgium. I'd have to double check the name of it. Uh, the museum went out of business in the the late, uh, early, early 90s, I think, and they were basically storing all of their, their assets until uh, Dean Cruz down in the States bought the entire museum of assets. Um, the wing ultimately came to our attention because of Facebook. And I can't understate how important Facebook has been to us for things like this. And yeah. a fellow, I believe from Indiana, was going through the museum and he took a picture and posted a picture of this wing they had as set dressing in their armor museum. Uh, it's the Victory Museum, I should say. Um, he posted on British Modeler's site. And within, I can't remember the exact amount of time, approximately two hours, we had messages in our inbox and uh, copies of the photos and links to it and everything because there was people who were still unsure whether it was typhoon or hurricane. And, uh, we were able to go over there and, and verify immediately that it was a typhoon wing. And we were just astonished. Indiana, there's a typhoon wing. And um, <laughs> so it was an interesting morning the next day because I, I didn't want it to disappear. So I, I actually woke up there three hours ahead of us. So I woke up at uh, God knows what hour to make sure I got them the second they walked in the door or before. And I, I couldn't get a hold of uh, the curator. And I ended up getting a hold of the... Uh, museum owner, Dean Cruz, and we worked out a deal uh, fairly quickly. We were able to, uh, it cost a bit of cash, but we we're also able to uh, trade another wing to replace his set dressing and keep his display uh, correct. So we, we had to find a, a wing. We eventually found a Harvard wing. And within the week, we had arranged, uh, we had Andy Wallace, Cam's brother, fly out to Ontario. We had another uh, team member in Ontario to meet him there at the airport, pick him up, drive to Indiana, pick up the wing exchange what needed to be exchanged and had, had it uh, exchanged <laughs> and had it back to Canada. Right. So it happened very quickly, but uh, it's by far, I mean, it, I'll never tell anybody how long it's going to take to do this project because who knows, but um, we're doing everything we can. But that wing, the amount of time that it saved to have that outer structure, uh, which is completely um, enclosed and not represented in any of the blueprints is unbelievable. It's years, at least years of advancement that uh, that's going to allow us to have. That's fantastic. That's it's an yeah. yeah. There's, uh, Martin is actually working on another part of it uh, to do with the wing progress. Uh, one of the issues that we had is we've got all the cockpit side um, and the efficiency with which they scrap typhoons is pretty impressive. So aluminum disappeared and the wings were almost all aluminum. Yep. but they have spar fittings on the, the root end of them that attach to the cockpit section and they're really hard to find. So we spent years finding them and we were very, very fortunate. Uh, Pierre Ben, a friend in France, had recovered a Typhoon JP600 and we found he was willing to loan us those parts. So we've got them in the shop here and we're taking measurements and reverse engineering manually. So Martin's been working on that and producing these parts before they get sent back to France. 
producing them in CAD for our, our models and to attach the, the broken off wing that we do have to the structure. I don't know if Martin wants to talk about that process at all. That's an interesting one. It's, um, it, it, it's a fairly simple process. I mean, it's, um, the problem I've been having is having been retired for about 12 years before I bumped into Ian, um, which happened to be, he was on a, he was a spot on one of our car tours with the Vintage Car Club. So, I mean, it, it just shows you how, how, how these things just happen for no particular reason. Um, and I, I just happened to mention that uh, I've been an engineer, design engineer, not like uh, most of the folks in this neck of the woods. An engineer is somebody who actually works on the airplane. Yeah. We're design engineers. We, we, we do all the grunt work and let the, the mechanical guys sort out what we screwed up. <laughs> I'm glad you added that last little bit. <laughs> I would have felt remiss if I hadn't said something about that. We, we used to call all the old guys in the old days assembly fitters. And, and the reason they were called assembly fitters was because a lot of the engineering was not precise like you have it with the, with the various CAD programs these days. It was you know, drawn on a board with a pen and pencil and a ruler. So the fitters uh, were the guys that made everything work in the shop. So we, we have a, a huge amount of respect for those guys. And speaking of that, Ian is probably the most knowledgeable man on this subject I've ever met. I have no idea how he retains it all. Um, you can ask him something out of the blue and he says, yeah, I got one of those somewhere. And <laughs> it's like, like these particular spar fittings, we're, we're working on the, uh, the lower diaphragm in the rear fuselage and we couldn't figure out what a piece of extrusion was. So he says, hang on a minute, I think I've got a scrap part out back there somewhere. And about, about a half an hour later, he came back and told me exactly what the standard part number was and, wow. and we were away to the races. So, Excellent. so that's the fun part of the project. It's interesting, actually, a lot of, uh, Martin and I talk about this quite regularly. A lot of times it's helpful just to phone each other and bounce ideas off of each other or talk. And that was one of the instances where I'd looked through all of our resources, our technical resources, looking for that extrusion and couldn't find it. I'd even gone to the Tempest to see if there's any Tempest data that showed that extrusion and I couldn't find it. And Martin was on the phone with me and I think I was explaining to him that I, I, uh, I wasn't able to, to find out what the extrusion was. And he said, oh, I thought you might have a piece kicking around. And I was on my cell phone in the shop and I was literally staring at the piece. <laughs> it was, I had it on the floor because it was, uh, it was the tail wheel assembly and a lot of the bracketry there. And as soon as he said that, I looked over at it. So yeah, I, I took some measurements and sorted it all out and got back to him and yeah, we had it. So it, sometimes you just need these little sparks and the conversation uh, can make things happen pretty quickly. Yeah, you should uh, you should send David a picture of that because when when Ian sent me the picture of it, I hadn't a clue what it was. Right, it's a piece of bent up metal and bits and stuff hanging off of it. Um, so it, it's it's fascinating. It really is. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So Cam, can you tell us about your part in the in the team here and and in the process? Yes, absolutely. Um, I met Ian probably about five years ago, something like that. And um, I grew up in a flying family uh, with a father that flew uh, typhoons for the Second Tactical Air Force. Yeah. And uh, I was up at the Campbell River Airport one day and heard this wild ass rumor that there's some guy down in Black Creek is restoring a typhoon. and. Uh, I grew up listening listening to all my father's stories about uh, his exploits in the typhoon, and I just couldn't I couldn't wrap my brain around that that was actually possible that there was one so close to home when I'm trying to figure out how to get to to England to see the one the only surviving one in in the in the museum. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I forget exactly who gave me Ian's address. Came down here. And we started to chat and he explained where he was going with the program and 
he needed uh, some different skills from different people and and uh, it just sort of got going from there and now I come down here and help Ian in the shop we just started that back at myself um, my job had me doing other things for a little bit but uh, we're back on schedule here now and and uh, yeah we're just having a a great time trying to bring this piece of history back to life. Fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, Graham, how did you get involved? Um, so I work as a, as a, a tech rep for a company that builds helicopters. Yep. And I happened to be at a trade convention in Vancouver and bumped into some shady person who sells, who was selling tools at the time. <laughs> and I, I happened to ask him if he did, because I, I, most of my tooling was Stahl Willy tools. It was a, a German, uh, brand and so I was asking him about Stale Valley tools and if he did Whitworth tools and, and we we're talking about Whitworth and and he's like and and BA and and I mentioned that I, uh, I think we started talking about old blades and stuff and then he happened to say oh I've got a typhoon <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> and uh, that was uh, yeah. <laughs> like six or six or seven years ago I guess yeah Not sure. yeah yeah and uh, so he said oh, he said oh, I'm out on the island if you're ever passing through um, come and have a look at it and it just so happens that the company that Cam now works for is one of my customers. So I'm out on the island quite a bit. Okay. So I flew into Comox and I rented a car and halfway between Comox and, and where Cam's company is, is Ian. So I just pulled in there one day and locked on the door and said good day. And, uh, and he's, he asked if, uh, if I could help him a bit. So whenever he, I seem to, I seem to have a knack for finding stuff in the, in the deep dark depths of the internet. So, uh, if, if, you sure do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how, um, I just, uh, I'll go from one person to another. I, I, I kind of subscribe to the six degrees of, of, uh, um, separation or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. if I ask somebody and they'll ask somebody and they'll ask somebody, eventually the answer gets back to me that, that I need. And yeah. like Ian was after some rivets, a substitute for some rivet and it was, it's a pretty common rivet in the Typhoon, I think, isn't it, Ian? Yeah, that's all the L37 stuff that they had. It was a huge problem for us. Yeah, and eventually I found that going through this paperwork and then that paperwork linked to that paperwork and then that paper linked to that paperwork and it linked back to the rivet he needed. So it's like, well, here's your substitute. He's like, wow, okay. <laughs> and so now he's got, he, so he randomly sends me photos on Messenger. He's like, what's this? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But I, I did just find the what the photo that you just sent me like a couple of weeks ago. That's a that's a fuel cock for a typhoon by the look of it. Is it really? Yeah, looks okay. like it. Because it's a remote it's a remote fuel cock. It's just a controller on the starboard side of the panel, and it goes with a Bowden cable down to a three way cock, and it looks like yeah. that's the main cock. So yeah, but I'll I'll need to confirm the part number, but that is, that's what it looks like. I don't know if there's been a serious conversation where I've heard cock said that many times. <laughs> 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 so yeah, that's, uh, that's, and then I, I befriended a guy in uh, the Rolls-Royce Heritage Trust. And so yep. he would send, he would send me a lot of um, the old standards that they had in the, from World War II. And, and unfortunately he dropped dead. He had a heart attack. Oh, um, but then I got another contact and then uh, Ed in Australia, uh, Silver Biplanes, I think is his, uh, so, so he and I were going back and forth swapping um, standards. So we both have a pretty substantial collection of the original standards yeah. from uh, 39 through to the through the 50s for, for all the materials so it's it's handy for for substituting modern materials when you've got the original standards that you can go back to with the with the recipe that they used in those materials so that's okay. that's my main uh, my main thing I'm either a, I'm either a storage space for Ian while he's uh, getting stuff scanned <laughs> uh, so I've got, a, I've got the front engine mount in the garage at the moment waiting to get that off to get that scan uh, or yeah I'm um, I have a, another contact over on the east coast and he has he's turned his house into a library and he has original copies for just about any manual that you can think of wow okay and he's happy to scan those and send them off to me just most just little equipment manuals like a prop governor or a radio or something like that a wheel so yeah he's good excellent yeah excellent and we should we, we should mention that uh, you're ex Royal New Zealand Air Force as well, and I am uh, yeah. aircraft aircraft technician, uh, which uh, yeah that's quite cool because 
you know, Peter Price was Royal New Zealand Air Force as well. So was yes yeah and as well uh, while I was in the Air Force and I kind of got the bug one of the guys I worked on at, at Five Squadron um, well I was in CMF and he was on five at the time uh, worked for Sabritskis in the weekend so oh, yeah. I would go out and help out with uh, Sabritskis I was working on the mostly on the Meteor uh, but also on the uh, they needed some help with the Mark 16 Spitfire to, to get that stripped so uh, um, there was a three or four of us would go out there at nights and paint strip the wings and Get stripper down your gum boots and inside your gloves and <laughs> yep. carry on. Yeah, yep. <laughs> brilliant. So yeah, kind of got the bug from that. Cool. Uh, Ian, were you going to say something before? Oh I, well, I think Graham downplayed some of his uh, technical specifications. It's important to note that during just pre-war and during the war, there were not a lot of set standards, and all the aircraft companies were all setting their own standards and even uh, BS standards and things like that were changing quite often. If you look at drawings from the hurricane and through the tempest and the sea fury, rivet call-outs, they're the same bloody rivets, but they're called out with a different spec. And the maintenance manuals don't necessarily link that. So what Graham was doing is he'd find a spec that we have called out on our drawing, or I'd, I'd ask him for help with one. He would find that spec, but we have to link that to something modern. And we'd find that that, or Graham would find that that spec has been superseded and now it's this spec, but it's hard information to find. And that could happen two or three times for something and you'd never know where to look or where to find it and it would just turn up. So some of these and rivets in particular uh, to do it properly, it was months and months of work on those uh, just to find the data that we need because this is an airworthy aircraft to make sure that all of our I's were dotted and T's were crossed and that we had uh, traceability back to 1937 or 38 when that spec was called on. So it's it's not a small job and it takes a huge amount of time and Graham is very good at it. I don't know where we'd be. Uh, most of what we do is based on material specifications. We couldn't build a part without that data because there's no way to say that it's right. So it's, it's very intensive work. Okay, okay. You better watch out Graham because you might get other projects contacting you now asking to do the same thing for them. It's funny you should say that, yeah. <laughs> We've just had, uh, well, Ian's just been in, in touch with um, a family and their grandfather was the chief technical officer for the 143 wing? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and so they, they were like, you know, we're trying to find history of, of our granddad because he never talked about it and we've got these photos and, and some books and stuff, but we don't know what he did. So I found his history from when he crossed into the U.S., to take two weeks driving through the US or by train through the US to report for duty in Toronto. I found when he came to the first posting at the 8th Bomber and Gunnery School and I followed him to 421 Squadron, then to 127 Wing, then to 143 Wing, and then through Europe to the end of the war. I'm like, yeah. here you go. And, and, but I managed to find that within a few days. It was actually, that one was pretty easy. Yeah. Mm. What, what Canada's done, which I wish New Zealand would do, is all the ORBs of every single Canadian Air Force unit from World War II is online for free. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's absolutely yeah, brilliant. Is. But the, New the, only is that, the only problem is that each, each uh, so they're all um, microfilm, microfish, yep. microfilm, but each page is a separate slide and they're all JPEGs. You can't download a, a, a range. You have to download every page individually once you've gone through the reel and found the pages that you want. Right, right, right. So, yeah, it, yeah. it took a bit of time, but we got there. But New Zealand's actually started putting some ORBs up, but they've, okay. picked, they've picked um, random stuff like um, 41 Squadron in the 1960s. It's like, well, who's going to be interested in that? <laughs> well, I'm sure a few people will be, but it's going to take a long time for them to get the whole lot up. And, you know, as you know, some of the, um, some of the ORBs from World War II, particularly like the, the bomber uh, squadrons, um, just one ORB that might cover two years is about you know four inches thick, and yep. and that paper is wafer thin as well. So there's a lot of scanning yep. to do. Um, yeah. So, but I mean it it is great what you can get online now uh, in terms of records. And um, I don't know if you guys realise, but right now at the moment, uh, because of the COVID nineteen thing, uh, all of the um, British National Archive stuff is actually free to download. You can get 50 downloads, um, 50 files for free. Uh, but unfortunately, things like ORBs don't seem to be 
well, some of them don't seem to be counted in it, but anything that they have got already online that you would normally have to pay for, you can get for free. So you should try and get into that if you didn't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, let me just take a note of that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know how long it's going to last because it's really only some, uh, it's because the museum's closed uh, or the uh, archives I should say is closed uh, so once they open again they'll probably start charging again yeah, um, it's, it's, it's expensive though, some of the big files yeah yeah absolutely um, so uh, Martin uh, Ian mentioned that you come from a background with uh, Boeing um, can you talk a little bit about your history I started a lot long, lot longer ago than that. It's, right. uh, and in fact, talking about the different fasteners, my, my first company was uh, Armstrong Whitworths, which ah. was famous for the Whitworth trade. Um, and I'm not going to go through the whole history, but my, my last project was uh, on the 787. Okay. Working, working on uh, fuel system design there. But I've, I've worked on meteors, which was mentioned earlier, javelins, hunters, seahawks. Uh, all of that was with Armstrong Whitworth while they yep. were building the was Argosy, was that twin boom freighter? Yep. Uh, the yep. whistling wheelbarrow. There. Uh, uh, over here, I started on, at, uh, in Toronto on the DC 10. We worked, they were building a wing in Toronto. Uh, moved out to a little place called Gimli, where were, that's in the middle of nowhere in Manitoba. Um, they were converting the Havland Herons into what they call the Saunders ST27, which okay. was, uh, it took off the poor Gypsy Queens and put on two PT6s, and it was like a little jet fighter flying people around. Wow. Okay. Uh, it, it finished the natural death, it wasn't funding for it, especially in Manitoba. Yeah. Uh, where did I go from there? I uh, went to Israel, worked on the LAV-D program there, which was their new fighter program, which was basically uh, an F-16 on steroids. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, back to um, Canada, Montreal, initially worked on the, uh, uh, the executive jet. Um, the Challenger, mm -hmm. um, and had a second stint back there working on the uh, the regional jet. Uh, I got fed up with that. Montreal is a wonderful place, but the politics are not uh, not too clever when it when you got an accent like mine. Ask uh, <laughs> and Mac and all that, you know. Um, so. Took a stint out in Indonesia. They were working on a, 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 a turboprop, um, tran intermediate transport aeroplane, uh, the CN250. Uh, actually turned out to be a six-year contract. It's only supposed to be two years. So we, we saw a lot of that end of the world, and that was all very interesting. That uh, finally came to an end, and I. Uh, managed to get myself a job at Boeing, working initially in the, in the shops, helping them with uh, engineering problems in the shop, yeah. working on the 767, 747, 777. And the bugs finally found me and laid me off in 2003. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we found Comox, um, quite by accident, I might add. We've never even heard of it and realized just what a marvelous place it is. Yeah. And just fell in, immediately fell in love with it, found some place to live, and start, started settling down to my retirement. And then Boeing called me back and they wanted me on the 787. So that was that. <laughs> I worked there another five years. But right. Finally mm -hmm. retired 2007, bumped into Ian, as I said, on the little uh, car tour we were doing with the club. Yeah, uh, I was stupid enough to mention that I'd actually worked on the Spitfire that was up there in Comox, doing some reverse engineering. Um, I thought he was going to lock me up. He didn't want to let me go. <laughs> 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 I 
and I foolishly offered my services. And, uh, since then, I've been, uh, having been away from it for uh, eight years, I guess, uh, it's like a brand new learning curve, not only getting to learn the original software I had, but also learning all the updates that come along with it. So it's been quite a process for me, and uh, it's um, the only thing I've never done is actually fly. Um, I've always wanted to. I've, I've been involved in airplanes ever since I was eight years old, um, but I've never flown probably because I was never twelve hours got all the throttle. So, right. That's, uh, <laughs> probably best to keep your feet on the ground in those circumstances. Yeah. So that's my short version of my little story yeah oh brilliant no it's there's such a uh, pool of talent that's contributing towards this uh reconstruction or rebuild of the uh typhoon and i think it's fantastic it's yeah it um it's frustrating at times obviously uh but at, at the end of it when i mean my, my first little project was the fin and I produced some um, drawings for Ian to produce the ribs for the fin. Yeah. And of course, it's all compound shapes. And I, I wasn't really a CAD jockey as an engineer. I was more of a paper and numbers. You know? So that, that was pretty stressful to go through that. But at the yeah. end of the day, when you see all those bright, shiny bits on the table, you think, wow, that's good stuff. Absolutely. So, yeah, so it's great. Yeah, it's, uh, it has been really interesting to see the piles of bright, shiny bits on the table that yep. uh, you've been putting up on, on um, Facebook, Ian. And uh, it's definite, definite progress, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it's actually pretty interesting. Um, my other half, Elizabeth, I was talking to her the other day, and I had a memory come up on Facebook about something I posted, and it seems like it was a lot longer, but it was only a year. And... She had mentioned that the progress that's been made uh, just recently is amazing. I, I couldn't really put the timeline together, but um, just the cockpit was one story, but we've got, we're sitting here at a fixture table that uh, I built up to build our new cockpit on. And uh, to my left, there's, it's kind of a universal fixture that's built. It's going to do all our flight controls. It'll be for the fin as well for Martin. So it's a general frame that'll have different brackets on it for assemblies. The, um, We've got a radiator fairing. That was one of the first things I started. We've got a fixture on a rotisserie. It's all um, machined and welded and we had CNC rotor involvement in it and it's ready to go. Um, actually, Bruce Slater is just taking over some finite details on that and we hope to be able to finish that up. And then across the shop over there, there's uh, the monocoque fixture uh, with a full set of frames on it. And we got so cocky that we took on the uh, Jet Age Museum static display frames too. <laughs> Oh, I shouldn't say. I volunteered. Um, it just, it, it seems pointless to have all this tooling, but the amount of tooling per part is exhausting uh, to produce it. And thinking that the guys over at the Jet Age Museum would have to do the exact same thing to build their monocoque section, it just seemed ridiculous not to, to offer. So yeah. Um, I'm pretty happy it's done now because it's very labor intensive, but we've got two full frame sets sitting here for Typhoons now for the monocoque section. So there's uh, there's beginning to be a lot of Typhoon and the new Typhoon in the shop now, whereas uh, during our last interview, it was the parts basically from Roger Marley's collection and some of the stuff that I'd had. And there's research that had been done and a lot of data, but there is no uh, tangible visual progress. Yeah. and um, it's really tricky, I'd say, to try and push the project, and I'm a little sheepish with it anyway, but people don't know who I am or don't know my experience. And when you go out there and you start blabbing on Facebook saying you're going to build a typhoon, people are like, yeah, well, how many people before you have said something like that? Yeah. But it's really, from my point of view, it's important that we show that we can do it and what we're doing. And so far, our feedback has been very positive. Uh, quality of fixtures, quality of design work, quality of production. And that's what we want people to think of when they look at what we're doing. We're not messing around. We're not dreaming. We're doing it. And we're doing it well. So Absolutely. starting to show now and people are starting to catch on. So hopefully 
you know, in the next uh, two or three years of production, as the assemblies come together and we start seeing major components that are completed that are Typhoon, uh, we'll be able to get a little bit more credibility and hopefully that'll bring some new opportunities and possibly some uh, some other collectors will come out of the woodwork that have Typhoon collections and want something rebuilt or built up so that there'll be an even greater representation of Typhoons, which is ultimately why we're doing this. Yeah. So, um, back to the Jet Age frame set there, the cockpit that they've rebuilt is beautiful. They've done just amazing work and those guys know it inside and out. And um, it's it's going to be on display. I, I don't know all the details on that, but it really, as far as typhoons go in the world right now, as a visual progress, is going to be the ultimate one for people to see as soon as possible. So another benefit of building a frame set is getting it to those guys and having them made it to their uh, near complete or complete cockpit section and have a typhoon starting to take shape where the public can go and see what's going on. So it's a really, really good opportunity for everybody involved in it. Absolutely, absolutely. I find it interesting today being June 6th. I mean, we all know what June 6th was. Yep. And all those people that um, fought for everything we did and everything we enjoy today, they're rapidly leaving. We just unfortunately lost Harry. Yep. Harry Harding passed away a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And we're losing all them. and such a, a historical piece of equipment like a typhoon there is out of all the thousands that were built there is only one in existence and I, that to me is a real tragedy yes um, yeah. there to me these kind of things are not to be stored away in the museum collecting dust because then people forget and this is this is really going to be something that's done it's a, uh, the quality of workmanship is just phenomenal. Just, just absolutely amazing. Yeah. I think uh, on that line, Cam was just chatting with his brother, Andy, earlier today about uh, Emerson's experience in 193. And something that I didn't know is that Emerson Wallace was flying on D-Day. He's one of the few types. Yeah, of my, my dad was with 193 Squadron uh, based yeah. on, how do you pronounce Har Har Harrowbeard? Harrowbeard. And um, he was one of four pilots from his Typhoon squadron that were allowed to fly uh, okay. today. Yep. And uh, he did three missions over the beaches of Normandy today. Okay. Yeah, and he was eventually, uh, uh, they operated after the beachheads were made. He was on uh, Bravo 3 forward beachhead uh, air base, which was just wire mesh out in a farmer's field and he was shot down on uh, July 17th. Okay. So uh, yeah, they fought long and hard on, uh, on D-Day and uh, yeah, it's kind of a special day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it is definitely a type that needs to be remembered better and you guys are doing a fantastic job to do that. Um, and you mentioned the one, the one complete example that exists which uh, is owned by the RAF Museum, and it was in Canada uh, for what, maybe a year or two, was it? Uh, and you guys got to take it apart and scan it, didn't you? Well, yeah, it actually, I think they extended the stay. I, I believe originally it was supposed to be a year, but it ended up being close to three by That's the time it went back. Yeah. Three, yeah. Uh, which is an amazing opportunity. There's so many uh, Canadian veterans and families of veterans that were able to come and see it that normally wouldn't have. I think it was a a beautiful thing of the RAF museum to lend such a rare aircraft oh, to yeah. and have it flown like that. So not the Tycoon flown, but have it flown over to Canada. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just a great opportunity for, for, uh, for a piece of history to be viewed in Canada. Absolutely. Um, but we did have a, a really good chance at it. And I guess I was thinking that might've been before our last time, but uh, it must not have been. We, we discussed. Yeah, it, was. it was. Yep. Was it? I think, okay. Yep. We did a digital scan of the wing of it. And uh, this is before we'd found the wing that was in Indiana. Yep. And uh, the intent was the, the best way to do it is we need the profile, we need the shape, we need to design the fixtures and all of that stuff. The quality of the scan is such that we can pinpoint the center of rivets so we can identify rivet lines internally. Yep. We could amalgamate that scan with known components that we have drawings for, which is a lot of the inner wing, but not all of it some of the main ribs. 
um, and we could form all the profiles of the internal structure knowing where the internal structure was. So just having that external profile is an amazing asset. Uh, when combined with the wing, of course, it's even better because now we've got surviving structure uh, that fills in the gaps for the enclosed components of the wing. Um, but I guess ultimately what it is, is everything's worked out very, very well for wing uh, work for us. There's definitely some hurdles with it, but between the scan and the surviving structure that we have, we're going to be able to make fixtures and we're going to be able to produce wings. And that's ultimately what we're um, going or working towards. It just happened a lot faster than we expected it to. Yeah, that's brilliant. It really is. And that aircraft, when it went back to England, uh, something I found very interesting was it didn't go straight back to Hendon. It actually got assembled at uh, um, Coningsby. Um, with the Battle of Britain Memorial flight. And it was interesting to see photographs of it sitting there with all the Spitfires and hurricanes. It was uh, pretty cool, wasn't it? Yeah, they had some a little bit of sunshine on it, had it outside. That was uh, unique. Yeah. It's usually pretty cool. It does happen. <laughs> What's that? It does. It does. The sun, blah, 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 blah. The sun <laughs> does shine once in a while. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I was getting all excited there, wasn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you mentioned Spitfires. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, just as a as an added um, or an aside, we was out at the Goodwood uh, Festival of Speed a couple of years ago, and they were going to celebrate the Battle of Britain, and they were supposed to have a Vulcan flyover, which was another airplane I worked on. Yeah, um, but it had a fuel leak that it was supposed to be flying with couple of Spitfires and Hurricanes. But the, there were two absolutely magical things that weekend. There were 26 Spitfires, Spitfires flew in that day for the weekend, yeah. 26 of them. Oh, two of them were twin seaters taking people up the flights. There was a Blenheim there, the only one in the world flying. Yeah. Right? And it, it was uh, it's probably one of the one of the greatest trips I've ever had in my life. Wow. Anyway, sorry, I'm digressing. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. I should have taken flights up, but they wanted three three thousand pounds for a twenty minute flight, and I thought, no, I can't. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I should have taken. Never enjoyed flying that much. <laughs> oh, oh, well, to go up in the Spitfire. Oh, lord. Anyway. Well, I, I've had the pleasure of doing that at, at, um, in the one at Ardmore, and uh, it's fantastic. And it would cost you a lot less. You could probably fly to New Zealand and buy the uh, yes. yeah. flight for less than that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's one of those would assure the things, right? Yeah. 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 Anyway, well, sorry. No worries. Um, so where to from here? What's the... What's the plan going going forward, sort of thing? Well, on well, the lighter side, I have a feeling Ian might be pressuring us a little harder to work a little faster. <laughs> well, I don't he's know. Got bit, he's got the bit between his teeth now, and he's got material out there, and I'm afraid he's going to be wanting stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, th that is true. <laughs> the only problem is there's a thing between me and production, and that's Cameron Wallace. <laughs> but I, I, I need guidance and supervision so Cam's here to do that and, and keep me organized and, and moving along so one of the things we're doing uh, right now and this is I referred to it as secret before but it's I'm pretty confident that we're moving ahead with it, it it's going to be a video blog that we're going to do to document the production of uh, JP843 and it's it's not something I'm necessarily really comfortable with, but it's been suggested by uh, a lot of the project followers um, out of their interest to learn more about what we're doing, mm -hmm. as, as well as um, some, some other followers that recommended it as a subscription service and uh, a way to fundraise for when we get into some of the bigger uh, system side expenses, which are gonna be engines and, uh, and hydraulics, and all the component side. Uh, anything that has to be farmed out gets expensive. We're, we're fortunate now that um, it's all in-house. I'm a volunteer, Cam's a volunteer, Graham's a volunteer, Martin's a volunteer, but we're eventually gonna have to pay somebody something. So we'll get there. But this video blog uh, hopefully will help us with that and hopefully it'll help connect with uh, people that have a lot of questions as well. 
uh, Facebook is, uh, it's pretty interesting. And I, I like to interact with people that have questions on how we're doing things and how, what processes we use. And you can open yourself up for a lot of flack, but so far the, the response has been wonderful. And it's just nice to, to talk to people. Um, using the video blog, we'll be able to show that uh, on a more regular basis and it'll, it'll keep the video files together for history too. And if, if people want to join in or find out about the project in three or four years from now, they'll, there'll be documentation they can go back and watch as things progress and maybe learn some new swear words and things like that. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it works out for everybody. Let's uh, uh, help us any new ones, Ian. I learn a lot from you. <laughs> That's a fantastic plan to, to document it week by week. And I can see also another option there that will be good down the track. And that's when you decide to write a book about the entire process, you can go back and it's all there, uh, you know, like a diary. So, um, because I'm sure that there will be a demand for a book about, you know, rebuilding a typhoon is, mm. you know, something that's beyond most people's imagination. And, you know, it, this is one of those things that most people couldn't imagine it would ever happen, is it? Well, disbelief is probably the name of the game. And it, I don't blame anybody for questioning building a typhoon. It, it is a ridiculous proposition. And I'm, I have to say, I feel very fortunate to be in the position where I can commit the time and where I can commit my skills to this and, and make it happen. Um, but it, it is definitely something that a lot of people need to see happen to believe that it is happening and uh, social media is great but I, I think there's also a lot of people that would like to have I wouldn't call it hands-on but be feel more a part of it by yeah. seeing what's going on and, and the video blog should help with that um, yep. there's also I, I don't know if I've published anything on this I, I think this story of JP843 is a lot bigger than that I think there's a, a story about the people that have been trying to save a typhoon for decades and see this happen. And we, as a group, I, I hope we're at the end of it where we're gonna see that succeed and we're gonna have an airworthy typhoon. But there's a lot of people that have tried and a lot of the people that have tried and not necessarily succeeded yet or had to give up or passed away, made it possible for the people now that are working on these projects. They are the ones that went through dump sites and saved parts when everybody said it was junk when everybody else was recovering it from beaches and scrapping it immediately, those guys are the ones that made it happen. And I'd really like to be in touch with the families of these people. Um, a lot of them that I know anyway are, are known to me and I'd like to have something with their name on it as part of the story of the restoration or the return to life of a typhoon because it just, it wouldn't be possible uh, without these guys from that worked on it from the late seventies and eighties and even early nineties. Roger Marley, his collection was huge. I wouldn't be anywhere without that. So it's just, it's really impressive. And I think it's important that those people that put in that effort are not forgotten too. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, is there anything we haven't covered that you wanted to talk about? Hmm. Well, we do have a secret project. It's, it's not so secret. It's not, it's <laughs> It's more secret than the other secret project. It's behind so it's camera. not top, top secret. No. It's just top secret. This is like, yeah, mediocre secret level. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that's the Merlin. And I'm not going to tell you what we're doing, uh, what we're doing it for anyway. But we, <laughs> it's an interesting conversation piece. And it, I'm not a Merlin guy. Martin, plug your ears, please. Um, Oh, go away. <laughs> We've acquired a, a Merlin 3. Uh, and we are, Cam is instrumental. I've basically asked him to take the project. Um, myself, and when I say myself, I mean Graham, uh, is looking for parts that we still need for it. Um, yep. But we're going to rebuild this as a ground running Merlin on a trailer and make right. it beautiful. And, and the odd thing about this secret is that it's a Merlin and it's very specific to the typhoon and bringing a typhoon back to flight. So I'll leave you with that. Okay. Interesting. I will say that uh, while the Merlin for me is probably the most beautiful piece of engine engineering that has ever been built. Uh, that, uh, that typhoon engine is pretty damn impressive. 
Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. There's a sense of pride. We were talking about that earlier. We're just, uh, Cam and I are working on the shop right now, making it uh, flow a little bit nicer and take some of the Ian-isms out of it. Um, but we've put these two engines, they're sitting behind us as we're talking. I guess it's a radio interview, so you can't see them. But we've put these two engines behind us at about a 45 degree angle with their backs to the wall. And you walk in this room and you see an Aper Saber and a Rolls Royce Merlin sitting beside each other. And it's, it just brings a smile to your it face. It is impressive. Yeah. yeah, very impressive. And also, it's interesting to see how much bigger that Saber is than the Merlin sitting there too. <laughs> it's, a, it's, not, uh, it's not longer. It's wider and it's not taller. I think even if our lower accessory case isn't on right now, but I think if that was on, it would be a similar height. It's just... Okay. It's, such it's so efficient in its use of space i guess is the way to put it yeah. when you compare it to the merlin yeah because it's got uh, it's got the 24 cylinders isn't it it does yeah. yes yeah uh, it's a horizontally opposed um h type is what they call it it's got two crankshafts each crankshaft drives 12 cylinders on the top so it's a flat and um yeah it's it's like a brick of lego one piece of lego it uses up that space very efficiently and somehow it produces thousands <coughs> of uh, horsepower doing that well, it did one day. This one, we moved it the other day and a bunch of sand fell out of it. So <laughs> I think it'll be a while yeah. before. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, things, things like that can happen. You, you know, uh, look at the mosquito. People thought, you know, they'll never get a mosquito flying again. It's made of wood. Well, now there's four that are capable of flying. So that's right. Uh, yeah. And more to come. So yeah, we will see that saber powering a, a typhoon in the future i'm sure of it that's the plan it's great and uh, the best thing we can do i guess put forward is anybody that uh, is interested in following along look out for us on social media and watch out for our, uh, our video blog we're going to try and get that going as uh, quickly and efficiently as possible so we'd love to have everybody along and watch what we're doing absolutely and also how can people contribute either uh donations or um if they have any parts that they might have in the garage um how, how do they get in touch with you Ian? uh the best way is probably through our website uh it's uh, typhoonlegacy.com uh, www.typhoonlegacy.com or uh, i'm happy to have people email us uh, directly uh, i can be reached at uh, info info at typhoonlegacy.com uh, there's also through social media, if you have Facebook, you can go on there. There's phone numbers and things if you, if it's urgent and believe me, Typhoon stuff to me is urgent. So please feel free to get a hold of me. Uh, <laughs> but if people want to be involved, just uh, reach out through either social media message through email and uh, let us know what uh, you, you need. If, if you just want to talk Typhoons and you're in the neighborhood, stop by, we'll talk Typhoons. Great. And if you, are you also looking for more team members of, um, skilled aircraft mechanics and that they can start turning wrenches and That'd be good. yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you cam <laughs> um i think uh, yeah absolutely we're always anybody that wants to participate in this uh, it's usually a geographic thing fortunately uh design work is all remote uh, it works but when it comes down to hands-on it'd be lovely to have some people in here um Right now, it's flowing pretty well, but as things progress, there's gonna, we're going to need second and third and fourth sets of hands for both structures and mechanics. So um, there's probably work for various levels of experience as well. We, uh, ideally, everybody is uh, professional uh, in the group, so we always have a demand for another set of skilled or licensed hands in that regard. But we could probably also use some help, just somebody a couple days or half days a week yeah. uh, plugging away and helping us keep things going in an efficient manner. Um, one thing that I know we're weak on is our social media. Uh, it takes a lot of work to do that stuff and I can barely spell my name on the best of days. So if we could, if somebody wants to be a part of the, the team and is good with Facebook and, and some of the social media accounts and web development, we'd love, and that could be remote too. We'd love to have, uh, have some help with that uh, just to help get the story out there. Great. Um, yeah, we, we can't spend all our time administrating or overseeing social media. We have to produce a typhoon. 
Well, that's what it's come down to is a lot of times it's a kind of a toss up. Do I do a post on Facebook and uh, let people know what's going on? And this, I apologies to the team members, comes down to team emails sometimes too, is every, every one of those aspects takes my hands off producing typhoon parts. So the more help I can get with some of that stuff, it's not my skill level. So somebody else could probably do it a lot faster than I, um, but it would, it, mean more time for me on the typhoon and ultimately faster progress with uh, the return to flight here. Um, and that's a big reason why we're doing, I mean, it sounds simple. We're, we're revamping the shop here. The, the work environment here has to be efficient to maximize the manpower that's going into these individual tasks to produce these parts. It just has to flow. It has to be organized. And if we're going for the, the, web type based media it's got to be presentable yep. so that's that's what we're trying for here yeah fantastic we are in what we do yeah cool well thank you very much gentlemen it's been a pleasure to catch up with you again ian and uh to meet the rest of you rest of the team here and um uh i i hope that it won't be another four years before we have you all back on the show again but uh <laughs> i think i had a part to play in that <laughs> oh, that's, where did the time go though? <laughs> yeah. One of the problems is, of course, that uh, I was turned 77 this year. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm on the short end of the stick when it comes to the, the time allowed and available. All right. All right. Well, we're, we're going to work you twice as hard this year, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell her you mentioned her name. <laughs> okay. She was mentioned in passing. <laughs> You're just trying to get me in trouble, aren't you? Of course. <laughs> I can do that all by myself, my friend. I'm pretty good at it. We've been married 53 years now, so we're doing all right. <laughs> oh shit, 54 years, sorry. <laughs> uh oh. Oh, uh, she can't hear me. It's <laughs> up there. Well, so with, with, with that bombshell, I think we should close the show. <laughs> I think Martin has to go now. <laughs> well, she does do that just to make sure I'm awake down here. <laughs> Anyway, Dave, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And you too. You know, thank you very much, guys. It's, it's brilliant. And uh, um, good luck with the with the uh, web series, uh, webcam series. And uh, I certainly will be following it. And um, yeah, it'll be great to see the progress. And um, good luck with the project as well. Great. Oh, thank thank, thank you. Thanks, Dave. Cheers. Alrighty. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.